Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Well, today is one of my favorite days, Father's Day. I mean, why do we even mess with that Mother's Day thing? I never, I never really understood that, but... But Father's Day, you can just see right from the beginning why that's important and why that's special, you know. And uh, so we wanted to take a few minutes and just kidding, moms, okay? No no emails, no letters. Or anything. We love our mamas, don't we? But today is Father's Day, okay? And so we want to recognize and uh, thank all of our fathers who are here today. So if you're here today and you are a dad, uh, would you stand and remain standing uh, to be recognized at this time? And uh, let's give a good round of applause to all of our dads who are here today. We want to let you know how much we appreciate you and how important you are uh, in the whole scheme of society, the way God has ordained and planned things. Uh, The family is the unit that all society revolves from. And so as fathers, uh, your role is absolutely crucial and essential. And we want to thank you so very, very much. Uh, for everything that you do and for all that you mean uh, in your families. Uh, We are having kind of a baseball theme here today, and when you leave, uh, we'll have a special gift for you that you can pick up. Uh, You can either get a bag of ballpark peanuts or some sunflower seeds and and, uh, share those at the game as you... If you go to the game uh, this afternoon and, uh, uh, you know, those tickets are still available and I'll be glad to eat the buffet with you uh, when, when you go as well. But we want to thank you very, very much. And we're going to have a special prayer uh, for our fathers this time. So let's have a prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for every man that's standing up in this room right now. We thank you for their love, for their care, for their families. And Father, our prayer is that uh, no matter how their children may be, that you would make them uh, even better parents and better examples. Uh, thank you for the love that they've shown, the care that they've given. Let them know how important they are and how much they are appreciated. We raise them up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all, and God bless you very much. Hey, you know, uh, it's one thing for me to stand up here and to thank our fathers, but since we have a baseball theme going, I thought it might be good for somebody else uh, to thank you and let you know how much that they uh, appreciate that. And as it may happen, one of the members of our Westport Road family is Sean Kelly, who is probably this year the best relief pitcher uh, in all of Major League Baseball. And Sean has a personal message for his Westport Road family that he wants to share with you at this time. Hi, from Washington, D.C. at Nationals Park. I just wanted to uh, send a shout-out to my mom. I love you and I miss you, and I hope you have a great day. And uh, I guess happy Father's Day to all you dads out there, uh, especially to my pops. I love you, man, and you're the best. So thank you, Sean. So you watch those Washington National games, all right? You might even see Rhonda and Dennis at the game if, if, you, if you did that. They'll be up in the, in the balcony area uh, up there in the, in the very top. So thanks, Sean, for that. Hey, we're going to be looking this morning and talking about God as Father. Anybody here uh, ever read uh, the, the book by Tennessee Williams, the play Cat on a Hot Tin Roof? 
A few of you have great movie, Burl Ives, Paul Newman, Elizabeth Taylor. I mean, just all of the big stars were in that movie. But Burl Ives played a character. The main character was a man who was the patriarch. Uh, of this entire family and this entire area. He was large. He was powerful. He was in charge. And what did they call him? Anybody remember? Big Daddy. He was Big Daddy because he was big and in charge and large and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, so we're going to be looking into the scripture and seeing what the Bible says in both the Old Testament and the New Testament about God as Father. Now, we sometimes think of God in the New Testament as being Father. As a matter of fact, in the Trinity, we even say what? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we know in the New Testament, God is seen as Father. But there's also many allusions in the Old Testament to God as Father as well. And we're going to be looking at those and talking about them and what they mean for us as fathers today. And the first thing we see is this. In the Old Testament, God as Father is seen as the head of the household who deserves respect. He is the head of the household who deserves respect. In Isaiah 64, verse 8, it says, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. So God is seen as Father here, but it's seen as Father in that He's large, He's in charge, He's in command, He's Big Daddy. He's the potter, you're the clay, He makes you, so God here is seen in this Big Daddy, large and in charge type of thing. So what's that mean to us today as fathers, if we relate that over as God as fathers? It means if you're a dad, you're large, you're in charge, and everybody answers to you. Sermon over, go home. Okay, maybe not. But did it sound good for a second, dads? Yeah, for just a second, it sounded really good. Here's the problem, though. The problem is respect isn't given unless respect is earned. Respect isn't given unless respect is earned. So if as a father today, you want your children to respect you, you want the respect that you think you should have, then you have to be an individual that is worthy of that respect. Now, in the Old Testament, several different things are shown as God as father who deserves respect. But we're going to look at three of them very briefly. The first is God deserves respect because he is our creator. He is our creator. Look at Deuteronomy 32, verse 6. He is our creator. Uh, Is he not your father, your creator who made you and who formed you? So he's your father. He created you. You are God's creation. God made you. You are God's plan. And so he deserves our respect then as our creator. And so we say, God, we know that you made me. uh, You formed me. uh, Therefore, you deserve that respect. Now, there are some people today that think, okay, then I deserve respect because I've had a child. Well, just having a child doesn't make you worthy of respect or being a good father. As a matter of fact, I was reading a story this week in the paper of a man uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee, who's had 30 children now with 11 different women, and he's petitioned the court to no longer have to pay child support because he said, I can't support 30 kids. This is ridiculous. I need to no longer have to pay it because I've got too many kids from too many different women, so don't make me pay the child support. So that's his petition to the court right now. So would you look at that and say, okay, well, he's helped create these children, therefore he's a good father worthy of respect. 
Is that what you would think? No, not at all. There are a lot. You can have a child and not be worthy of respect or be a good father uh, any way, shape, or form. But when we think of God as creator, if you make something, you're generally proud of what you've made. Anything I make, uh, I'm very proud of because I'm not real handy with my hands. And I remember uh, in high school, while everybody else was making, back then we made like gun racks and we we put them on our trucks and everything. Today they'd like throw you in prison if you, if you did that or something. But you know, uh, you know, well... I made a wallet because I wasn't good enough to make a gun rack. And they didn't want me near any of the woodworking equipment or anything like that. So I made a wallet. I made this leather wallet. I cut it out myself. I made it all. I was so proud of that ugly wallet that I made that I carried it for like three years. And every time I take it out, people would say, well, that's the ugliest wallet I've ever seen. I I made that wallet. If you make something, you're generally very proud of it and you really care for it. Well, that's what God as creator is, is the fact that God has created you and therefore God is invested in you. Therefore, he is worthy of our respect. Now, let's transition and think about this. What happens if you have a father in this world who's been an absentee father, who's been an abusive father, or has been an individual who hasn't worthy of respect? Then how should you treat that individual? Well, I think Scripture is fairly clear that we are to honor our mothers and our fathers. And so if that person is your biological father, you should give them a measure of respect simply because of who they are. It doesn't mean they deserve it. It doesn't mean it's right, and it doesn't mean that you feel all fuzzy and warm about them. It means just as your biological parent, they deserve some sense of respect God deserves our respect as our creator. Second thing it tells us is that God is our rock and our savior. He's our rock and our savior. In Psalm 89, verse 26, it says, He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, my rock, my savior. So again here, this is still God as big daddy. As big daddy, he formed and created you. As big daddy, he's not only that, he is your rock and your savior as your father. Now, what's it mean when it says he's our rock? He's dependable. He's going to be there. Uh, he's, he's going to be strong and, and, and be there to, to, to help you when you're in trouble. He's a, your, big, your rock. Now, the biggest rock in the world is in Australia. It's the Uluru Rock, uh, or often called Ayers Rock because I can't pronounce the other word. And uh, uh, this is it right here. It, it's over uh, 1,000 feet high, 1,142 feet high. It is six miles around. It is one single rock. And what our scripture tells us is God is your rock, your stability that you can trust to and hold. Again, we don't need to make some great application. As a father, you were supposed to be the rock for your family, for your children, uh, that they can depend on, that's going to be there. Not only is our rock, we're told he's our savior. That again, we can depend upon him to to save us, to be with us, uh, to give us this new life, this new hope in God. So he created us, and he is our rock and savior. And the third thing we see in the Old Testament is that he leads and cares for us. God leads and cares for us. Uh, Look down uh, to Jeremiah 31, verse 9. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble, because I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my firstborn. So God is going to lead us in the right direction. He's going to show us the right things. He's going to help us to make those big decisions. Again, the application obvious. As fathers, we need to help to lead, to direct, 
to care for our children. So this is the Old Testament picture of God as Father. He is creator, rock, savior, leads and cares for us. And all of this goes around that theme. He's big daddy. He's in charge. He's large. He deserves our respect. So if you are here today and you are a father and you want to be seen as the same way as God the Father is, I'm called father because my children respect me, then you need to be a person worthy of respect. So you need to ask yourself, is the way I'm dealing with my family the way I'm dealing with my children, is it something that, that they should respect? That I'm living it in such a way, the way I treat and behave with my children, that I am worthy of respect by them. And so that's the point as we look at God in the Old Testament as Big Daddy. We transition over to the New Testament. In the New Testament, we go from God being Big Daddy to God being Loving Daddy. Uh, still, the, this, this idea of God as Father but he becomes much more personal. In the New Testament, a much more intimate portrayal of God is given. Now we're going to look at five quick things the New Testament says about God in this personal way. And the first thing we see is this. God is not only personal, he wants to be involved in all of your life. So you've gone from God as big daddy where he is large and in charge. He's creator. He's rock. He's savior. All of that's good. To now suddenly the New Testament picture transitions and says, but he's also personal and involved in your life. What a great thing to think that the God of the universe, who is our Savior, is also the one that wants to be involved in our life and cares for us. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays this. He prays, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, what you will. And then look down to Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Galatians 4, verse 6. For we did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but the spirit of sonship. And therefore we cry out, Abba, Father. Now in both of these uh, passages of scripture, I pointed them out because the word Abba, the Aramaic word Abba is literally used in the English translation. Now, Abba doesn't mean father. Abba was the word that a young child used for their male parent. It's equivalent today to daddy. And so when Jesus was praying to God, he prayed daddy. Now, think how radical that was. That in a conservative Jewish mindset where you were stoned to death, if you used the name of God, he refers to this same God as daddy. It shows how personal, how intimate, how involved God is in that relationship. So as we transition that over, the obvious thing is, if you want to be the God of the Old Testament was when he was seen as father, then you need to be personally involved in your children's lives. Do you know what goes on in your children's lives? Do you know who their friends are? Uh, do you know what they're studying in school? Uh, do, do, do you uh, uh, know their hopes and dreams? What makes them mad? What makes them happy? Are you personally involved in your children's life? Are you helping them with their homework? Are you involved in their lives? A new study by USA Today said that the average father spends about seven hours a week with their family. Not with, with a particular child, but with their entire family 
the average dad spends about seven hours a week. That's less than half of what the average mom does. And if the average mom is working the same hours as the dad, the average mom spends three times more time doing housework and with the children than the father does, even if they're working the same amount of time at work. And so we see dads putting in very little, doing very little. And then there was a recent survey that came out just this week. It asked this question, what's the number one thing you'd like for Father's Day? Guess what dads answered as the number one thing they wanted for Father's Day? To be left alone and not around their family. That was the number one thing they said. We'd just like to have a day off where we just went away, we were by ourselves. Guess what the number one thing mom said they wanted for Mother's Day? To be with their family. More than any gift that you could give me, number one thing I want is to be with my family. Dad said the number one thing you do for me is leave me alone. That's the number one thing you do. And it's because dads spend so much time, a third less than, than the mothers do. That's why they need this break, you know, uh, that's there, right? So if you want to be known as the right kind of father, you need to be personally involved with your family. A second thing the New Testament tells us as God is father is not only is he personally involved, but because he's personally involved is for this reason he loves and cares for you. God is loving and God is caring towards you. Listen to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Look at that verse again. God wants to lavish his love on his children. Now, is that generally how you think of God? Again, this Old Testament view of God, which was great and needed, that he's all-powerful and in charge and rock and savior. And now we're being told in the New Testament, your father wants to lavish his love on you. What's it mean to lavish love on somebody? I know uh, uh, I do everything I can to spoil my children. I think there's a difference between spoiling them rotten and spoiling them. But I like spoiling my children. I remember when they were younger one time, Dawn's mom said to me, you're going to spoil those children. And I said, yes, ma'am, I'm going to go out of my way to try. I promise you that. Now, that wasn't the closest relationship we had at that point. Uh, but but I, I wanted to lavish love on my kids. Man, I like buying them things. I like doing things for them. Uh, you know, it makes me feel good to lavish love uh, upon my children. Well, that's how God feels about you. He wants to give you this lavish love. John 16, 27 says, The Father himself loves you. You have loved me and believe that I come from God. The Father himself loves you. There was a neat story in the paper this week. An owl had been hit by a car going down the road in Mississippi. Uh, it was taken to a, uh, an animal shelter. They said, the, the owl's not going to live. You know, don't, don't worry about it. But one of the guys in the shelter kept trying to take care of the owl. He he fed it by hand. He would just lay there with the owl and take care of it all day long. And then he went on vacation. The owl has gotten much better. He came back from vacation. The owl had not eaten anything since he left. They thought he regressed. When he came back in, the owl freaked out, went across the room. And here's the picture of when the guy came home from vacation. The owl literally puts his head on his shoulder. Because why? Because this is the person that has loved and cared for me. 
You see, when we talk about respect and earning respect, you're going to get respect from your children when your children know they are loved and cared for by you by more than anything else. That your love for them is not based on behavior. That your love for them is not based on accomplishment. That they are simply loved because they are yours and you care for them with a passion. Lavish love upon them. So we see God is personal. God is loving. The next thing we see is not only is he, is he personal, not only is he loving, that God disciplines those he loves. Couldn't we have left that one out? I mean, seriously, God disciplines those he loves. Over in the book of Hebrews, interesting passage of scripture, chapter 12, verse 7. It says this, endure hardship as discipline, for God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? So we're told God disciplines us. Just as a good father disciplines his child because you are God's child. Therefore, a good parent will discipline their children. Now, what does discipline look like? This is what discipline looks like. Okay? So, go do thou likewise. Okay, now, think of that word discipline for a second. Can you think of any other word we use in the Bible that is similar in spelling to the word discipline? Disciple. Disciple and discipline come from the exact same root word. Do you know what a disciple is? One who learns and is taught. That's what a disciple is. They're learning and they're being taught by someone. So what is godly discipline? It's not punishment. Punishment is you did something wrong and I'm going to make you pay for it. That's punishment. Discipline is I want you to learn and to be taught the right way. That's much different. If you're trying to to teach someone the right way, show them the right way so that they will learn and not make those mistakes again, that's different than punishment. Now, it doesn't mean that when children misbehave, there aren't consequences to actions. But those consequences aren't to make them pay because they messed up. The consequences are so they will learn better the next time. Because discipline is for you to teach and to move your children forward. Now, most, not most, I take that back. Some parents do one of two mistakes. They go overboard one way or the other. One way parents go overboard... They don't discipline their children at all. How many times have you been out in public and thought, oh my goodness, I've never even seen this family, but I'm going to go over and whip their child if they don't, you know, or something like that. Uh, What what is going on here? So you let the kid do absolutely anything they want and there's never any consequences. And then we wonder why we have all of these self-absorbed brats running around the world out there or something like that. The other problem we have is that we... Don't discipline, we punish. Do you know that four times in the New Testament, we're told fathers don't exasperate your children. Fathers don't, don't, uh, don't, don't aggravate your children. Fathers don't be so hard on your children, they're going to lead them astray. So all we're doing is punishing and it's creating an adversarial relationship with our children because they don't feel like they're being loved, they feel like they're being hurt. And so a good father 
as we see in God, will discipline his children because he loves them so they will learn and be taught. That brings us to the fourth thing we see is God as Father. As God's children, we are united as one family. Now, here's the thing. When you accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, you became a part of the family of God. God became your Father. God is your Father. But guess what? There's other people in this room that believe in God and have given their lives to Him. Guess whose Father they have? Same one you have. God is their Father. God is your Father. Look around the room. Everybody in this room, God is their Father. So if God is the Father of every person in this room, then every person in this room is my brother and sister. Whether we realize it or not, God gave us a family on the day we were saved. And that family was the church that's supposed to love us and care for us and get us through. Over in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, Ephesians 2, verse 20, it says, Consequently, or therefore, you're no longer foreigners and aliens. You are fellow citizens with God's people. You have now become members of God's household. So we are all part of God's family together. The church is a diverse group of people, different ages, different races, uh, different genders, di- different, different ways of viewing the world and different philosophies. And yet we're all brothers and sisters. If you have a biological brother and sister, do you agree on everything in this world? No, not even a little bit. As a matter of fact, you probably disagree with them more than anything. Uh, you know, that's how you know that they're your biological sibling because you never agree on anything or, or something like that. You know, in the same way, the church family is a wonderfully diverse group of people that have been brought together as one family, brothers and sisters under God, our father. Clarksdale, Mississippi is a small town in Mississippi. It's had uh, a, a history of, of racial division And there was a a, a recent picture that was put in the newspaper that helped bring the town together. The editor of the newspaper said as much as anything that had ever happened, two girls in preschool, best friends, taking a nap. You might have seen this picture on the Internet. This is the picture right there. And suddenly that swept through Clarksdale, Mississippi, and people began to see that's what it's supposed to be about. When you look at that picture, that's what the church is. A wonderful group of people that God has brought together as brothers and sisters because he is the father of all of us. And that brings us to the last thing that we see. I saved this one for last because it's the best. God as your father is going to give you a big inheritance. Who likes that one? Yeah, yeah. You're going to get a big inheritance from God. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Now, if we are really his children, if you are really God's child, then as a child, you are his heir. And if you are the heir of God, you are a co-heir with Christ. That means everything Jesus is inheriting, you are inheriting. How mind-boggling is that? You are a co-heir with Christ. Absolutely unbelievable that God as your father leaves to you an unbelievable inheritance of heaven and his glories and of all that he possesses. He is your father. You will inherit the things that are his. And again, translate that over. There are many times in the Bible we're told a good parent leaves an inheritance for their children. 
both a legacy and, 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 and physical inheritance. Good parents leave an inheritance for their children. God is leaving the ultimate inheritance for us. So we've seen two things this morning. We've seen God in the Old Testament as Big Daddy. And we need that view of God. God is large. He's in charge. Uh, uh, he is creator and savior and rock. You need to understand those things. But he's those things as your father. So the comfort of knowing the God that is my father is in charge of everything. The New Testament gives us a little bit different view of God. as God is loving father. Personal, intimate, involved in your life. Loving caring. He's going to discipline you to teach you. He's going to give you a family. He's going to give you an inheritance. And we see this great view of God and his love and his care for us. And when God looked at the world and said, how do I best describe myself to you so you understand the relationship I have with you? He said, the relationship I have with you is like a parent does with their child. What a great, great way of understanding how God feels and how God treats us. Rick Hoyt was born with uh, cerebral palsy, uh, very extreme. He had the cord wrapped around his neck during the birth, lost oxygen. Uh, by the time he got to two, he, his parents were told he's going to be a vegetable his whole life. You might as well just put him in an institution. His parents did not do that. They brought him home. They would read to him, talk to him. Slowly, he began to be able to respond. He learned his alphabet. And then one day, they bought him a computer where he could literally be able to talk back and forth to the family. And they found out just how amazing and how intelligent their child was. There was a boy in their community who had a tragic accident and was left paralyzed. And there's going to be a 5K run for him. And Rick told his dad... Uh, who, by the way, is, is Dick Holt. There's Rick and Dick Holt. Told his dad, he said, Dad, I want to go into 5K race uh, for this boy. And his dad said, well, how are you going to do that? And he said, well, why don't you push me in my wheelchair? Now, his dad was not an athlete, had never run before, had never done anything, had no time to train, but he went out and he walked and pushed his son during that 5K race. When they got through, Rick told his dad, it's the first time in my life I did not feel handicapped. And so Dick Hope began to get in shape. He began to run. He began to put his son into other 5K races where he'd, he would, he would uh, push him. He began to develop new kinds of wheelchairs to do that. They have now run in 1,108 5K races. They have been in 72 marathons, including 32 Boston marathons. There is a statue at the beginning of the Boston Marathon in their honor. And he has, they have been in six Ironman competitions that they completed. Here's a picture of Rick and Dick Holt right there. When he was asked why he did it, he said, If you could see the joy of my son when we are doing these races, you would understand why I do it. It comes down to this. I love my child. If you want to know what it means to be a father, that's it. I love my child. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have shown us that love over and over again. Father, help us to live that love for our children. In Jesus' name, amen.
hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.